0: Smith and this is more than one lesson episode 125 uh, we have a few announcements at the top of the show number one is that we have once again for our sixth time been nominated for a podcast award in the religion category so if you felt like voting for us you can vote once a day incidentally you can vote once once a day per email address Uh, if you I have several and uh, you know it becomes a or, uh, an ordeal to, uh, sit down and vote for us from, uh, for me because I have to go through all five of them. But, uh, but it's worth it when we win this thing, which again, we probably won't, but don't let that deter you from voting. Uh, go to podcastawards.com and scroll down to the religion category and then scroll further down, enter your name and email address. They will send you an email for verification. Uh, I, I don't think they will send you any junk mail as a result of getting your email address. Um, uh, because they've done this what, they've done it this way for several years and I've never gotten a piece of junk mail from them. So, uh, so if you're worried about that, uh, don't be and just, uh, help us out with this. We've got, I think, three weeks to do it and I would appreciate every vote that I can get. So thank you for that. Um, we do not yet uh, – if you've looked at the website, you've seen that there's a um, uh, a button on the side that says premium episode. Uh, that is not uh, – that episode is not yet available. When it is, we will charge $2.50 for it. It will be about Kevin Smith's dogma. And basically the proceeds will go towards sending me to the International Christian Film Festival to try to get to know some of those people and uh, get the word out about the show. So, I think that is about it. Um, so, I will welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. Josh. Hi. How you doing? Doing
1: good. What's all up? All right.
0: What? What's up? Oh, uh, we're just, we're recording a show. Oh, really? Yeah, that's why you're in my office right now. Oh,
1: all right. I was very confused. Is
0: it? Are you, do you have like a memento kind of thing where you, you'll find yourself in the middle of an activity and think, oh, how did I get here? I'm sorry, who's this? Oh, boy. Oh, there's a, okay, so... There's the uh, how far back do I go? Okay, there's this thing called film. Hang on.
1: Mm. You okay, say so men used to draw th- on cave walls. You're saying thing? Oh I'm boy, not, I'm not entirely sure what that's meant to. Well,
0: I'll point at stuff. Okay, okay. you see this? No. Oh no. yes. Okay, that's a thing. Oh okay. You see this? All right. That is also a thing. Well, that doesn't make any sense. I know. It's. I'll say this. Uh, you see everything in the room.
1: Yes. Those are all things. Do I see everything, though?
0: Well, you you don't see what's directly behind you, but thankfully there's not that much.
1: So there's no things back there. No things. All right, good. Yeah.
0: Literally nothing back there. No. So that was dumb. Sorry, everybody. (laughs) Uh, That's what happens whenever you welcome Josh in. Uh, The key is to merely tolerate him. When you welcome him in, he will then be himself, and that's a problem. Okay. Okay. So, Got Josh, it. if you could just, you know what? You're not welcome here, but you're here anyway. We're not going to kick you out, but you're not welcome. Oh, okay. So just, you know, tamp it down a little bit and be like, say, 35% you. 35%. Yes. If you could take that down, that would be So really like wonderful. slower and quieter. Maybe not slower, but quieter and just like don't say anything that like indicates what your personality is. Hmm. We're on our way. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, alright, everybody. Uh this week we are going to talk about Bennett Miller's Foxcatcher. Now, this is a very interesting movie to discuss because I'm a fan of Bennett Miller as a director. I loved Capote. I loved Moneyball. Moneyball was my favorite movie of 2011. I think I really like Bennett Miller's instincts as a director, especially when it comes to actors and setting a general tone and keeping that tone consistent. Um, I really respect him a lot. Um, Foxcatcher, I believe he received the award for best director at uh, Cannes, right? I don't remember. But I, I remember one way or another it made a big splash mm-hmm. uh, at Cannes. And so uh, people were very excited. Uh You know, when we saw when we first saw the trailer, we saw Steve Carell in heavy makeup with a fake nose doing something we've never really seen him do before, Mm -hmm. and people were thinking, "What is going on here? This is very strange." And the tone of it looked so—it looked almost like a horror movie based on the trailer. Like it was just full of dread. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there were a lot of expectations going into it. And by the time I got around to seeing it, it had been released for a while. And there were a lot of people who said, hey, this is not as good as people think it is or as people hope it is. Uh, It was getting a lot of B minuses and stuff like that, uh, Hmm. singling out specific parts of the film, a specific performance or uh, cinematography or something like that. But a lot of people said that as a whole, it didn't really add up to much. And uh, so I went in knowing that. And as I watched the film, I will say that my reaction to it was not wholly positive. I was engaged. I was interested. Uh, On more than one occasion, I found myself wondering why I was watching this, which is to say Mm -hmm. why they thought this story specifically was worth telling. Mm -hmm. And it is an interesting story, but it sounds strange. Like, not every story – well, let me uh, me put it this way. I think every story can be interesting, even a boring one. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also think that a really interesting story can be made boring or unengaging depending on how somebody makes that film. And I, that's kind of, kind of how I started to feel with Foxcatcher. I just found myself thinking like, what is the justification for making this movie? Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then after the movie I thought, okay, yeah, uh, there's a lot of good things about the movie, but overall I didn't love it.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: but as, as, time went on uh the film really grew in my mind and i wouldn't i certainly wouldn't say i love it i I didn't i don't love it as much as capote or moneyball but uh it really took on um some larger ideas for me uh which i'll talk about a little bit later and so it got to a point where i actually i think i like the movie quite a bit now Mm. uh which is strange and that's that's one of the that's a real that if you let if you let yourself do this it's a lot of fun that if you, maybe fun isn't the word <laughs> but if you allow a movie to just sort of exist after you've seen it as opposed to say like that movie was bad the end case closed uh if you allow yourself to ju- if your mind is drifting to a movie just let it drift as opposed to oh that movie yeah i remember that was bad you know mm-hmm. uh that's that. That's happened a lot. Sometimes there's a movie I love that gets a little bit worse, but then mm-hmm. oftentimes a movie that I don't really respond to initially, I find it lingering in my head. And this movie is, if nothing else, haunting. Um, and uh, I don't know. Does that, is that something that happens to you? Uh, I from think time so. To time? Yeah,
1: there are movies that you didn't think much of at the time, and then suddenly they creep back in. And yeah, I feel like that. When that starts to happen, I feel like that kind of gives me that makes me give the movie a second thought and kind yeah. of reevaluate what I thought of it at first. I think that's happened with a lot of happened with a lot of films or there are ones that you really like at the time. And then you get a little ways away from them and you feel like you've forgotten everything about them.
0: Yeah. I feel like one of the worst things that a a, a movie can do is be boring and forgettable, mm-hmm. you know. And if a movie is lingering in your head, sometimes for all the wrong reasons, but at the very least, you can say, "Well, if it's in my head, then at the very least, there were bold choices going on." I may not, I may think they were terrible, but at least, uh, at least somebody's doing something, and they're not just going middle of the road. For example, mm-hmm. <laughs> I find myself thinking thinking a lot more about Saving Christmas than uh, The Imitation Game. <laughs> um, Saving Christmas is, of course, a horrible movie, but there are a lot of bold and strange choices, whereas mm-hmm. Imitation Games seemed very middle of the road. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but Foxcatcher is, is certainly not middle of the road. There are bold choices made. Whether somebody responds to them or not is fine. Uh, Josh, uh, initial, uh, we'll go with expectation and then, uh, just general thought overall for you about, uh, Foxcatcher.
1: I don't think I had a whole lot of an expectation of it. I thought it was an interesting story and there was kind of a, there's something weird about it. Um, and I knew very little about the character that Steve Carell plays, the, uh, uh DuPont. Yeah. Um, but I knew that he was a weird guy. So yeah. I, I was interested to see that performance, not just because Steve Carell is mainly a, primarily a comedic actor, but Uh, It's just, I don't know. There's always something interesting about a character like that, that we can't totally get a hold on. Mm -hmm. Um, That is, uh, you know, this one's, he seems like he's a sociopath, maybe a psychopath. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we find interesting about like Nightcrawler, that, that character is just, there's something off about him and he's kind of interesting to watch for that reason. Um, and it's weirder to think with Foxcatcher, this is a real life person. Yeah,
0: Have you watched any footage of the real guy?
1: No, I've seen pictures of him, but I've never seen the footage.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, I have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you can look on YouTube and you can find some, some interview footage with him and that sort of thing. And, uh, and while I do think Steve Carell's performance is maybe a little bit too mannered, mm-hmm. which we'll get more into in a moment, um, the guy himself is not super far off from that. Like yeah. he is an odd guy. Like even if he had not done any of the terrible things that we know he did, um, you just, you cannot, I, I feel like one would never feel comfortable around this man. Like mm-hmm. just, he doesn't seem comfortable. It's just, it's hard to say. Like there's, there's clearly something mentally off about yeah. him. Um, but, yeah, and so uh, so when you saw the film, what were your general thoughts about it? I think I
1: liked it for the most part. I, I thought um, – I, w- I was just actually looking up the, the the DP for that movie because I thought I really liked the look of it. I do, too. And uh, looking it up, he did a few other movies that I really liked the look of. He did Killing Them Softly, which yeah. has a very similar yes. tone. You can see that. And he did Zero Dark Thirty as well. Okay. Um
0: Yeah, I think of all three of those movies. I certainly, when I think of, okay, so I don't know if any more than one listeners know. uh, Oh, Oh. I did it.
1: You did it. You weren't even trying to.
0: I wasn't even trying, so I'll have to correct myself. More than one lesson listeners, uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but it it has been brought up on BP that I do tend to, not tend to, I think in terms of color, I associate color with every single thing in the Mm -hmm. world, whether it be people or songs. Is that what it's called again? Yeah. I don't remember. Mm Um But, yeah, and it's not like an aura. It's not like when I look at Josh, whose color is uh, sort of a a pool table green, um, when I look at him, it's not like I see green. It's not an aura (laughs) type of thing. Uh, But when I think of Foxcatcher, I think of black. Hmm. Like, I think of that as a dark movie. Hmm. I think of, like, inky blackness and shadows and that sort of thing. Killing them softly, same deal. Yeah. And Zero Dark Thirty, a lot of it takes place in the daylight, but when it is dark, it is pitch black.
1: Yeah, and... I'd say definitely killing them softly. And this movie feel like they exist in the same world. If that makes sense, like independent of direction or performances or anything like that. The look is very yeah. similar. I think.
0: Yeah. It, it also reminds me a little bit of million dollar baby. Um, yeah. I and I don't that. know who shot that, but, uh, but I think of that Does as a Clint black would use a
1: lot of the same people. I can't remember.
0: Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm not sure, but, uh, could find out. but yeah, so, um, so you had a positive response to it,
1: yeah, or at least at least to that to the to the look of it and um uh, yeah, because it's funny when you look back on it, there's not a lot of color to it, honestly, it's yeah. kind of it's kind of grim and there's a lot of it feels like uh, a lot of cold tones, yeah, um but there's something that still feels uh I don't know, it's not lively or anything like that, but there's a, it it feels very distinctive and very I don't know, it, it feels interesting to look at.
0: Yeah, it's not as though and it would have been very like okay, for example, Capote, which is a movie that I think it looks gorgeous but not actually gorgeous. I think Mm -hmm. it it has a very distinct look. But that is, everything is muted. The tones are all very... It's a lot of earth tones, a lot of grays, and everything. And it seems very flat, which I think it's meant to. I mean, it takes place in Kansas. Kansas Mm -hmm. is very flat. So I think it's it's meant to look like that. Whereas this is a film that has, I think, even though it's not colorful, it still has a lot of depth. Like, you feel like you're being drawn into this world. It feels Mm -hmm. very three-dimensional to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... Yeah, I think you're right. And a lot of it to anything that takes place outside, it's, it tends to be overcast and there's like grass that is either dead or muted in color. Yeah. Or it's indoors. And even when, when they're indoors and it's lit well, it's like fluorescent lighting mm-hmm. and thus everything has this like pallid, gross quality to them. Yeah. Or, you know, when you're inside John DuPont's house or in that specific world, there tends to be like, pools of light here and there Mm -hmm. and then just dropping off to a a, an inky blackness yeah so
1: yeah and it feels it feels really distinctive of the of the time too like i feel like you know how you can see movies that are they feel like they're an approximation of what the time period would have been Mm -hmm. whereas this one seems like it could have come straight out of that time period you think so uh, to me, it does. To me, it seems like it's a real depiction of that period. Whereas, whereas I feel like there are other ones that feel like a uh, '80s themed depiction. Oh, that of the okay? Yes,
0: okay. I thought you meant that the film itself fe- felt like it had an '80s sensibility to it. I no, th- I don't I think say that, that, but as much, it does. No. Yes, they don't use like you know Tiffany or anything like that. You yeah, know, on the soundtrack, right, right. or have somebody with uh, a very specific type of haircut or jacket or something like that that yeah. just screams 80s
1: right they don't more just lives there right they're not trying to like <laughs> they're not trying to like some Some of these other ones feel like they're afraid you're going to forget that it takes place in the 80s and they're yeah. like hey look here's ace of bass or something i guess that's a little bit <laughs> that's, later that's that's 90s i think um
0: obviously tiffany is the best possible <laughs> tiffany Ke- devo i think is the is the devo. most essential 80s i think
1: maybe Devo was around the 70s though too
0: was it really yeah oh wow all right. D- good for you, Devo. <laughs> Incidentally, did you ever there's a there's a Devo video from a few years ago and I don't remember exactly what it's I think it's called it might be called Don't Shoot I'm a Man or something like that. I don't <laughs> okay. remember exactly, but if you watch it, you will see uh, a friend uh, a mutual friend of ours uh, named Paul Gobel. He is in that video. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> really funny. That's pretty um, cool. But uh but yeah, would any other uh, initial thoughts before we dive a little deeper?
1: Um, I liked the Mark Ruffalo performance a lot. I think you and I have both talked we will about go a that. lot further into that way. Yeah, um, but uh, I was telling my wife Megan that I uh, <laughs> I was telling her that, and this is true. Like halfway through the film, like early on in the film, I was like, that guy looks kind of like Mark Ruffalo. And honestly, <laughs> it, it was seriously halfway through the film where I was like that is Mark Ruffalo. That has to be him. Like he, he seemed so different to me. Like the way he walks and moves and everything even didn't seem like the regular him to me.
0: Yeah. And they do, I mean, they shaved back his hairline and they, they, and they, and he grew a beard and all that. But yes, even beyond that, he didn't trust, like he, as an actor, he didn't trust that to create the character. Like he, did a lot he made a lot of choices that we'll yeah. we'll get to later but yeah. um and we can and we can actually uh, dive into it now and we'll stick with the acting uh, mm-hmm. just in general um and we'll talk about Mark Ruffalo in a moment uh because so the film was nominated for director uh lead actor for Steve Carell supporting actor for Mark Ruffalo original screenplay and makeup i do think it probably sh- i don't know what i i don't remember what the other nominees were but i feel like a cinematography nomination wouldn't yeah. have been terrible
1: no i think um, so too
0: but uh, but it is a film that is associated primarily with acting Speci- uh, the three leads it is unfortunate that uh, channing tatum was not nominated because i think his performance is wonderful mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah so people when they think of it they think of it as kind of an actor's showcase mm-hmm. um even though there really are only three substantial characters. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, although I guess, I mean, Sienna Miller is in it as is Vanessa Redgrave, both, uh, in notable roles, but it's really the, the, you know, Channing Tatum, Mark Ruffalo, Steve Carell that are, that are the biggest parts. But, and so, uh, so I guess we can dive into that. And I think we can first maybe talk about Steve Carell who got the most press, mm-hmm. um, and who I got? Who was my first pick in my Oscar draft? And then I abandoned him after, uh, <laughs> uh, after he failed to get a lot of uh, critics stuff. And if I had stuck with him, I would have won.
1: Really? Yep. Just based on nominations. Based or? on
0: nominations, uh, Golden bad. Globes, SAG, and uh, Oscars. Oscars. I realize yeah. if I had just, if I just stuck with him. And not trusted the critics mm. who think they know so much, then uh, I would have won. And that fact, I'm going to say, haunts me. <laughs> but okay. uh, because our dumb friend Dan won. And mm. that is unacceptable. Two years in a row, by the way. Yeah. And listeners, if you knew Dan, you would know just how horrifying <laughs> the idea of him winning anything is.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, but yeah, and so Steve Carell got a lot of the press and what do you what do you think of his performance?
1: Um I think it's good. I I don't know, I didn't it doesn't blow me away, but
0: I think I for know. myself Here, I'll throw this I'll throw this out there and, and see what you think. This is a film with one lead and two supporting.
1: Mm-hmm. The
0: lead is Channing Tatum.
1: Mhm.
0: Steve Carell is on the same level as Mark Ruffalo. Like as far, and certainly f- when you look at like what a lead is as opposed to what a supporting character is by his very nature Steve Carell doesn't change. Like his character, he has mental issues. Right. Those don't they get worse, but that's not the same as an arc. Whereas Channing Tatum is the one who's constantly going up and down and trying to figure out what to do. Mark Ruffalo also does not change. Hmm. And so – and I think it, it might have been the BAFTAs. I, it was, I think it was some British awards that nominated Steve Carell in the supporting category. And I wonder if we had all agreed early on that his was a supporting performance, I wonder if if everybody, including me, might have been more – not forgiving. If we would have acknowledged that, like, because as a supporting performance, it, I think it's much better.
1: Hmm.
0: But like to consider that collect, that collection of mannerisms, not that it, it's more than just that, but hmm. uh, to approach that and say that's your lead, mm-hmm. I feel like it just instinctively feels wrong, especially when you see his lack of arc. But if you were to say, okay, there. Channing Tatum's the lead, and these are our two supporting. I think just by recontextualizing it, I think his performance, for me, gets better. Hmm. Is that is that strange? Is that a weird way of thinking?
1: Um, no, not necessarily. I don't feel like I can relate to that line of thinking as much, but I can see where you're going with that. Because um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's hard for me to think of things in terms of like lead versus supporting. I feel like I'd... Uh, it's hard for me to distinguish them and i and i understand like when people talk about they're kind of expecting different things from them like you say the channing tatum character is the one who has the arc whereas the other ones don't right so there is something in that um but i don't know i I mean it's it's one of those performances where we know that he is copying a real person a weird real person so it's kind of like like the first one i think of is in recent memory anyway is christian bale and the fighter he's also yeah. playing kind of an over over the top character yeah um I, I guess dupont's not necessarily an over the top character depending on your definition of that phrase but um they're both unusual people and uh, i remember thinking at the end of the fighter when you see clips of the real life character Yeah. um you think, oh, Christian Bale's performance actually wasn't as crazy as I thought it maybe was because right. this guy's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big. Um, so, but then a lot of times when there is a person who has a big performance like that, I feel if like when they have that real life thing to copy off of, it, it, there can be a degree to which it's only an imitation, really. Yeah, and I don't know, like I don't. Again, I haven't seen views of the uh, videos of the actual person, and I think I'm glad that I didn't beforehand because then I would have just been comparing yeah. the entire time. Um, but I don't know. I feel like that it's not as much that you're creating a character from the ground up. Yeah. Um, I I almost feel like it, it maybe is harder for an actor to do something that's stand out mm-hmm. when they're playing a character that's. Uh,
0: that
1: w- when they're copying someone who already exists and they can observe mm-hmm. and when they have some kind of thing like the fake nose. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing that it's become like a stereotype thing. Like, oh, if you weren't wear a fake nose, you're going to win an Academy award. Um, but, uh, but I feel like that gives them less of a chance to really create the character. You know, like the look is being artificially created for you and, the actual mannerisms and and the the you know the, the outward way a person appears
0: that's already done for you. So yeah. it can be a crutch if you let it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I this is my constant go to. It's an Oscar winning performance. Jamie Fox and Ray. Mm-hmm. It's a really good imitation that I feel like does not dig any deeper than that. Yeah. Whereas uh, a mo- you know, to stick with the, the, the musical biopic kind of thing. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix in walk the line. Now his mannerisms weren't like, I'm not mannerisms, but like he didn't necessarily capture the external essence of Johnny cash Mm -hmm. internal though. I think he did. Mm -hmm. And another big one, another Bennett Miller, uh, movie Capote.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Truman Capote had a very specific way of speaking and carrying himself and if Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't careful, he would have been able. He would have. He probably could have skated by on just like, okay, I can do the voice, and I can, you know, stand like him, and then we've got it. The mm-hmm. voice is hard enough to do. I could feel like people would still be fooled uh, yeah. into giving him Best Actor based on that. But if you watch that, he approaches it like it were any other fictional character mm-hmm. that he has to try to understand and convey that yeah and that's actually something that i do uh like as far as the way bennett miller uh, because he's the he's told three uh true true stories. stories yeah and so uh and i like the way he approaches them i don't i like that he doesn't really rely upon our previous knowledge of the character uh or the the person or whatever or the events and he just tries to approach it like it were just the movie like this is like this is the only record we're ever going to have or whatever and so but it also needs to be an intriguing movie and so um so yeah steve carell's performance is perhaps appropriately uh, enigmatic yeah for me
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i still like it i don't think i would ever consider it like one of the best of the year or anything like that
1: yeah but, but it's not like hokey or muggy or anything like that right. on the other side. it's definitely not a bad performance right
0: right and uh, and, spe- and that's the thing, is especially there are some scenes where he's really great. Mm-hmm. Like there is a scene after uh, uh, a wrestling tournament where Team Foxcatcher has done very well and people are drinking and they're celebrating. And for the first time, he feels like he's a part of them mm-hmm. and that he's with them and that he has friends and all that sort of thing. Uh, but he's also aware that he's kind of the leader of them. And so as he's drunk, he's like – trying to inspire them and kind of is a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and you also have moments where he says in kind of a funny line, but he says it in a very straightforward way in which he just says, horses are stupid because his mother was big into like, (laughs) you know, horse racing and that sort of thing. And just uh, not not horse racing. I was part of it. Show horses. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the room that they're in has all these medals and trophies and stuff for the horses. And then he, pushes one of them aside and puts this wrestling trophy there and uh, declares horses are stupid. (laughs) And I think that's, and moments like that work great for me. And then the scene where he is trying to, when his mother walks in and he goes in and the character goes into character oh, yeah. and he says, Hey, okay, so here's what you need to do to be a good wrestler. And he's telling them like the most basic things. And we know why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. Those are the choices made in a fictional film, mm-hmm. um, to try to explain who this character is and what drives them. And I feel like when those moments come up, I feel like that's when the performance is at its strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, uh, there, there, There's a lot of mannerisms to the character, but I think he, I think Steve Carell does wisely go underneath that whenever he has the chance. Mm -hmm. Um, So we'll move on to Channing Tatum, Mm -hmm. uh, who, boy, uh, a few years ago, uh, like so many other people, I just thought Channing Tatum, I get it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's just a big meathead, good looking guy. Who cares? Mm-hmm. And then I think maybe he realized that people thought that and just started changing who he was or, yeah. or taking on more challenging roles. I think he started to embrace comedy, which I think was a good yeah. call Yeah. because he's good at it. And then he was in Magic Mike, which he's really great in. I still haven't seen that one. Oh, I think it's Soderbergh. I think you'd yeah. like it. Um, very depressing film. Mm. And he's all and it's. I he started as like an exotic dancer. Yeah. And he choreographed all of his own dances in Magic Mike and he's <laughs> amazing. Uh it's really something. Um and so um and I think what's what's important for both his character or his performance and Mark Ruffalo's is that these are characters that are inherently physical and I think Channing Tatum, having been a dancer, knows how to express things with his body because that's how this character expresses his emotion is physically. He's not much of a talker. Mm-hmm. You get the impression he's not remarkably smart mm-hmm. uh, and certainly not articulate. And so we need to be able to see what he's thinking and feeling in just the slightest movement of his eyes and just the way he carries himself. Mm-hmm and i think he does a really great job yeah well
1: yeah part of the interesting thing with that character is like if he is kind of that a little bit of a meathead and kind of a not that intelligent character he he can't have a lot of subtlety to what he to whether or not he likes something i guess is 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 a good way to say it so he he really has to just There are times when I think his own limitations as a human being allow him to just go positive or negative with something. And so the fact that he's in a lot of these weird situations where he kind of has to either go positive or negative, somehow that makes it interesting. Like when he has to sit and listen to um, DuPont tell him about like the names that he's supposed to call him by. Yeah. Like that's a really weird situation, but he's, you know, he's putting everything together in his head and thinking, I mean, I I do want to keep working for this guy, so I guess I'll just do what he says. Yeah. So that, you know, like, then he registers positively in that that, uh, situation, even though it is weird
0: and probably uncomfortable. And I think he might also have kind of a low opinion of himself. Yeah, definitely. To the extent where it's like, well, this guy's behavior seems strange, but what do I know? I'm just some dumb jock, Mm -hmm. you know? And and you know this. Look at all the money this guy has. Maybe this is just how rich people act. I have no idea. And so I think if the character had, frankly, I think if the character had a little bit more confidence in himself, he he might might, question these things more. Yeah, he might not have allowed himself to get pulled into this as much as he did. And so, yeah, it's and that's the thing is we need to be able to sympathize with this character, and he's not the most he's not inherently sympathetic, and so. Yeah, but if we if we aren't on board with him a little bit, or at least if we don't want good things for him, then the movie does not work. Yeah,
1: if you don't care about him, then you're not going to keep watching. You're not going to be invested.
0: So I think Channing Tatum really imbues the character with some vulnerability. There are times when he seems genuinely childlike yeah. at times, and uh, and I think those are the keys to bringing us into his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then best for last, here we go. Uh, Mark Ruffalo. Whose performance, I think, was maybe the best supporting performance of the year. Um, As much as I like Whiplash, as much as I love J.K. Simmons, and I think he does a great job, and I would never – I like living in a world where J.K. Simmons has won an Oscar. Mm -hmm. When it came time for the BPs, and I had to, uh, you know, place my vote – place my vote – I think so what, is that is that right yeah okay cast my vote cast my vote mm-hmm. that's the one um the uh it was for mark ruffalo because i think it's i forget who wrote this but boy they're they're right on he manages to take a character who is inherently decent and make him interesting yeah i am not crapping on jk simmons But the nature of that character allows you as the actor to just go all out. Mm -hmm. He's inherently interesting because look at what he's doing. Look at what he's saying. Whereas Mark Ruffalo's character is just a good guy who's humble and sweet.
1: On the page, it's probably a pretty boring character.
0: But he's one of the most – he's like the most interesting character in a film that features a possible sociopath. (laughs) It's – like, it's it's a performance that makes me excited, which mm. is a weird thing to say.
1: Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, and uh, I, I think you've heard people describe uh, performances as transformative before, and I feel mm-hmm. like this is one of those.
0: Yeah, and it's just – and I feel like uh, – what is the sorry there's a car alarm going off and I'm just very easily distracted I apologize but uh there's a as I mentioned before there's a physicality to his performance uh he's a guy who's just he's a husband and a father and I think he approaches his his brother as uh his son I mean in in the he approaches him in a fatherly way because there is a pretty big age gap between them mm-hmm. and so he will console him in that way. But you also see when he's talking with DuPont, he sees a childishness can there see too. He through
1: him a little bit, yeah. Um, and he tries to handle him with kid gloves a little bit. You can see that yeah. happening.
0: Yeah, and so when he's talking to you, like, ha- always a hand on the shoulder because this is a man who, though he is more articulate than his brother, he still is a physical person first mm-hmm. and foremost. And yeah. just the way he carries himself, yeah, You can tell this is a guy who spent his whole life doing this one thing Mm -hmm. and he's just so in tune with his body. But to me, maybe the best scene in the entire film is when he is now on Team Foxcatcher and there's there's a video being made about how great (laughs) John DuPont is and they ask him and they're interviewing him and saying like, oh, well, if you could just say some of the ways that he's influenced you and stuff like that. And it is such an uncomfortable pr- – it's kind of funny yeah. to watch him try – to watch this man – I'd say a man of integrity mm-hmm. try and make his money,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, but not straight out lie. Yeah, It's some of the – like that scene – he's great throughout, but that scene is some of the best acting I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Discomfort is a hard thing to convey yeah. while also being kind of amusing. And yeah. he does it, and there's so – that scene is also kind of the film in microcosm like mm-hmm. the the way money can influence people's behavior and their attitudes where they know I don't believe this.
1: Yeah, they're doing something they don't want to do. Yeah, because they feel like that's going to benefit them.
0: Yeah, and trying to make, you know, a small compromise or in some maybe even a big compromise because, you know, in his case it's hey, this guy offered me so much money that, I mean, I'll be able to take care of my family for years on this. Mm-hmm. And I get to work, you know, and I still get to work in the field that I, that I have a history in and that sort of thing. And I'm working on uh, an Olympic scale and, and all that. And so, uh, so it's understandable. Uh, but at the same, but then it's like, oh yeah, then I actually, but I do have to make that money. And that is the scene where he, where he has to make his money. And it's a, Beautiful scene and it just holds on him and oh and I just want to cut away, but we can't. <laughs> um yeah, it's a marvelous performance. Mm-hmm. There there are a number of reasons to actually recommend Foxcatcher, but to me the, t- the the two items at the top are the cinematography and Mark Ruffalo.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um like I I might buy Foxcatcher yeah. so that I have access to that performance. <laughs> yeah. It is that amazing. I cannot speak highly enough about it. I like I I'm a Mark Ruffalo fan and have been ever since. You can count on me came out in 2000. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of his, and this is like, but for some reason maybe like a few years ago I thought like okay he's he's kind of he's kind of peaked like he's kind he's still kind of an indie darling but I don't think he's ever going to be a high profile guy and then of course he was the Hulk and I'm like okay well I guess there's that
1: mm-hmm.
0: but then he uh, he did the best work of his career last year. Mm. in my opinion yeah and that is no small thing Mm -hmm. so we spent a lot of time on the acting and that's and that's fine uh as far and we talked about the cinematography and such Uh, as far as general like story structure and that sort of thing uh what what did you think of that because i think that might be the thing i find the most not even problematic but just kind of I already said the word enigmatic, but I'll go back to it. The, the mm-hmm. way the story unfolds, I find a little enigmatic. I'm not like the pacing of it. It's not off. It's consistent, but it it feels like it has this sense of dread that we're just always going towards. It, it's inherently tragic, and I, it, it's playing the ending the whole time. And I'm yeah. not sure what I feel about that.
1: I thought that I thought that's an interesting take on. I mean, I I, I didn't. Well, I knew the what the ending was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but I didn't know that that was going to be at the ending necessarily. Yeah. Um, I thought as it started that uh I, I thought it was starting after the quote unquote ending had happened because uh, Channing Tatum's character seems very depressed and like he's yeah. in a bad place. And then when you realize, Oh, this is the beginning, like this is where he is before all that <laughs> yeah. happens then it's like oh man this is gonna get this is gonna get rough yeah so um so yeah and i like that it has that kind of sense of dread because then you you know nothing's ever going to be really right in it um i think there have been a lot of movies like that recently especially in the last probably 10 years that kind of have this uh all-encompassing sense of there being something wrong or something's you know, everything's not going to work out that kind of, right. that kind of tone. Um, so, so yeah. And as far as the way the story progresses, I I, I feel like it moves pretty slowly, but I, I don't feel like it feels like it's, I don't think to me it ever feels like it's dragging. Um, yeah, but no, it, it
0: has, a, it has a definite forward momentum. It's yeah. just, it just moves slowly.
1: Yeah. And it is depressing. I mean, if you're not in the mood for a depressing movie, yeah don't watch this one yeah um, and
0: i was i was actually kind of happy that i knew what the ending was going to be so yeah. that i could prepare myself emotionally for yeah
1: that. i think if you didn't know that <laughs> it would be upsetting yeah um kind of in the same way that if you didn't know the ending of american sniper i feel like that is a surprisingly upsetting ending I, yeah. which i didn't know that one.
0: Oh, you didn't really no oh boy yeah yeah and I actually don't like the way they handled the ending in that one. I,
1: I, yeah, I don't know. I think... I don't know if we talked about this already on the show at some point, but I feel like uh, Clint Eastwood is is still very good with action, um, but I think some of his dramatic or maybe like personal moments yeah. don't play as well and seem almost... In American Sniper, some of them seem almost schmaltzy. And the, there's a setup at the end where you're like, this is all too happy. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I feel like... I, I'll say uh, we're not talking about this, but I, since we're on the subject, um, yeah, I, I, but I, I think he can do that. Like in America in, um, in a um, million dollar baby, I feel like those, a lot of those dramatic moments mm. work really well when the script is good. He yeah. is a slave to that script. He will Maybe. not change a single word. And if the script is schmaltzy, he'll direct to that.
1: Yeah. And, Still. I mean, that's 10 years ago too, though.
0: Yeah, that's true. And, and
1: I haven't seen everything he's made since then, but I don't know.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. And, and what's more is like, and if you don't know the ending of American Sniper, you know, you're, you're a pretty savvy movie goer when things are going so well at the end, it's like, yeah, it's going well, but the movie hasn't ended yet. If thing if they lived happily ever after, it feels like we'd be over, Mm -hmm. but we're not. So something's going to go bad here. Yeah. You know? He might as well have just said uh, that he's a cop a few days away from retirement at <laughs> yeah. that point, not to be a uh, flip about the uh, the real story. But, um, but yeah, whereas this is a film that I do think that even if you went in not knowing the end, you know, this can't possibly end well. right? This like, the John DuPont character in the film is toxic. You yeah. cannot touch him.
1: And there's so many things that are almost like a horror movie in it, yeah. you know, that are kind of like there there's so many don't go in there moments, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you just, and it's, it it is a very heartbreaking film. I think you feel, I mean, I I said it was tragic, but it is a tragic film. And in a tragedy, you constantly want to be like, no, you don't need to do this. You really don't. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, Okay, everybody, uh, spoilers. I wanna, I feel like talking about the ending a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't seen Foxcatcher and you don't want- Or read the the true story. Or read the true story (laughs) and you don't want it spoiled for you, this doesn't seem like the type of movie that you should say spoiler warning for, but I will. Uh, then skip ahead a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so the scene where DuPont shoots and kills Dave Schultz, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, that's what American Sniper was missing.
1: Mm.
0: Like, it's just a little credit there at the end. And while the credit is certainly not a credit, but a little, you know, title at the end. And while that is devastating, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I still feel like we are, it sounds strange. I feel like if we get to know a character and their death is a tragic, horrible thing, I feel like we owe it to the character To at least see that, to share their final moments and recognize this is a terrible thing and we need, and without it being exploitative, like we need to see it in a very matter of fact way. It's one Mm -hmm. of the things that I actually like about the movie Milk, um, Mm -hmm. is that it doesn't shy away from that and this film certainly doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it, and that it makes it so sad and it's, and it's done in such a matter of fact way that that makes it that really heightens to me the senselessness Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, and Mark Ruffalo is really great in that scene. And you, you know, like, and you tell yourself that even though you know what's coming, that the sense that the sense of resignation will be there in, in the performance, but Mm -hmm. it isn't. I mean, he gets shot the first time, like he's screaming in pain. Like it's hard to watch as it should be. Yeah. Um, You know, this is a human being that died in a really horrible way, and I feel like we need to—we don't need to see it, but I feel like we need to experience that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I I like the way—I mean, of course, I don't like the way it ended, but I feel like that handled it right. Yeah, I think so, too. Now, one thing—this is not— the theme that we're going to get into, uh, I think the theme we're going to talk about it was not intended by the filmmaker, but, uh, <laughs> that's alright. Um. Maybe with both this film and the companion film. Yeah, probably. Also, not. I feel like this film and the companion
1: film share this other theme that we're not really talking about so much. Absolutely.
0: But it's worth talking, it's worth discussing briefly. Um, both movies, well, and we'll, we'll talk about Foxcatcher first. Uh, there is a, uh, this running idea that, the reason that John DuPont, a character that is probably, not even probably, that he he is insane. And the reason that he's allowed to do all of this is because he's so rich.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, I mean, he, like, uh, Mark Ruffalo's character does not want to work for him at first. And eventually, the money wins. The mo- and it's this idea that the money will always win. Mm-hmm. In a way, uh, John DuPont in the film reminds me a lot of Norma Desmond. In Sunset Boulevard, just mm-hmm. somebody who's so rich that she will get whatever she wants. And, mm-hmm. and everyone around her just gets tangled up in this web because she just dangles money in front of them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is, a, this is a, an upcoming topic on BP at some point, which is sort of movies made in the Obama era – Um, because there are plenty of movies made during the Bush era that you could point to and say, this is a direct reflection of the national mood. Mm -hmm. And there have been a lot of movies made in the last, I'm going to say two to three years that really, I would say are critical of capitalism and are critical of the idea of the, you know, you, you hear a lot, not so much anymore, but for a a couple of years, you heard a lot about the 1% and that Mm -hmm. they, you know, they have all this money and they're unaccountable and all that sort of thing. And we need to get ours as well and all that sort of thing. And so there's a real resentment of the rich right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like that's a new thing.
1: No, but uh, but it's definitely very prevalent. I mean, that was practically yeah. if you could boil the 2012 Obama campaign down to one thing, it yeah. was fight the rich.
0: Yeah. And incidentally, my opponent is one of the richest yeah. guys to ever run for president. Yeah. Although not as rich as John Kerry, it's worth noting. Oops, I just got political. I'm sorry, everybody. Um, and so, uh, and I feel like a lot of what Fox, a lot of Foxcatcher, and to its credit, I feel like it doesn't overplay its hand. I don't think so. E- e-
1: to the degree that there were people I who had seen it that I talked with that were like, I didn't really see any indictment of America or the American system so much. Maybe of... Maybe of wealth. I mean, I yeah, think yeah. that's definitely – that's unavoidable. But um, the, the idea of wealth being a, a – or maybe the prevalence of wealth or maybe this, the power of wealth being problems with America yeah. isn't necessarily something that would come through to everyone.
0: But to me, and I think you mentioned this as well when you saw it, to me, the the last shot of the film is Dave Schultz is, d- is dead John DuPont's in prison and Mark is all alone at this point. And so he goes from wrestling into like ultimate fighting Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing or mixed martial arts, I guess. Yeah. Um, and you see him and he's shaved his head and he looks just tough as nails. He looks like somebody, honestly, he looks like somebody who got out of prison, but he's never been in prison. Mm -hmm. But, and it's just this idea of like, it's almost like, His life has chewed him up and spit him out as this tough as nails, broken, uh, you know, stone cold man. Mm -hmm. And as he walks into, you know, the octagon, everybody is chanting USA, 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 and then smash cut to black. I'm like, well, when you I got to say, when you're chanting USA, smash cut to black right after a rich man has shot uh, a perfectly nice person to death it seems to me you're making a statement yeah um and uh you know it's it's like if you have if if in a movie if there's a movie where like somebody is if somebody's life is not going well and if you see an american flag in the background it was there on purpose yeah um and so and i don't even necessarily think it's heavy-handed i don't think that no i don't think Um, And
1: I think that's why some people I've talked to didn't even really register that.
0: And that's to the, and I think that's to Bennett Miller's credit Yeah, is that, you know, I feel like it
1: as subtext.
0: Yeah. I feel like all three of his movies have much larger cultural things, uh, themes to talk about. mm -hmm. Um, but he locks into character first Mm -hmm. and I think that's. A, that's always a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, because if yeah. you want, if you say, I want to do the, me- I really want to emphasize the message, character will take a back seat and the film will suffer as a result. But, um, but yeah, that is definitely something that I, that I think the film contains. Uh, and that last scene is the biggest indicator of that. So, all right. We'll move into the themes that we do want to talk about. Um, and that for me is, okay. So, like I said, the film, was uh not a big deal to me. Like I I didn't love it. Uh but then I remembered something about it. I remember one very specific thing and just in remembering that so much stuff came rushing into my head and suddenly the film got a lot better. Hmm. Um and that is we see it in the the trailer. We see John DuPont slap Mark in the face.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Mark is slapped twice in the movie, once by John and once by his brother, Dave. And I remember thinking like, okay, so there's a symmetry there because if we see this as one, as one lead and two supporting each of them representing a different thing, uh, and they both do this thing, then it's like, okay, so they've done the same thing to this man. So they're so now the film, whether it's trying to or not is now inviting comparison as to why like the motivation behind each slap. And so once I started heading down that path, the more invigorated I got by mm. some of the things that the film is exploring. Um, I'm always a big fan. Uh, one of the things that I love about Batman Begins is this idea of uh, your main character being provided with a choice. Mm-hmm. There's this path, the path of least resistance one could say and then you know the narrow path yeah and and what i one thing that i love about the structure of batman begins that's not the companion by the way it could have been but i wanted it felt a bit too recent to me um for every positive father figure that bruce wayne has there is an equivalent negative father figure
1: Mm.
0: it's fascinating to watch he has Alfred, then he has Ra's al Ghul. He has Commissioner Gordon, and then he has uh, uh, Tom Wilkinson's character, Falcone. Uh, he even has Morgan Freeman and then Rutger Hauer. It's just fascinating. Like, And so in each case, and each one is a different part of who he is, um, and he could choose the more greedy corporate side. He could choose to just let the crime lords run everything, or he could choose to sit back and let uh, – the army of shadows or whatever they're called league of shadows, uh, just destroy Gotham and take out all all the crime and all that sort of thing. He could do that, but that's the easy path. He wants to choose the hard path. And so that's a thing that I always really like. And with this, we have two father figures, each competing for Mark's attention. And one could say for his soul Hmm. when John slaps him, it is because he's done something that John doesn't like. And he calls him an ape and he's cruel to him all because he's not giving John what he feels he is entitled to. Yeah. When Dave slaps him. Now, of course the slap is always a violent, unpleasant thing, but he slaps him after Mark has not done well in a wrestling tournament. And he, dis- and Mark is just eating and eating and eating mm-hmm. so that he will gain weight and not qualify for the next one. Mm-hmm. And, And he apparently puts on a lot lot of weight in a very short time. Yeah. And you can, and he's just hating himself. Like he destroys a mirror in his hotel room. Like he's just in a terrible place. And then Dave comes across him, looks at what he has done and slaps him. It's that idea of slapping some sense into him. Yeah. Saying like, what are you, this is not you at all. Like you lost once. You're just going to give up completely. Are you kidding me? And just, and then, He's pushing, he slaps him so that he can push him to be better. The slap is actually, actually comes from a place of selflessness, yeah. which it doesn't seem like, it's not a thing I say lightly. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's like, oh, well, you know, I'll be selfless with Jen. Like the next time she's doing something I think she shouldn't. Just give and her the smack. Yeah. And be like, no, this was selfless. <laughs> uh, it's for you. But also the, you know, Dave and Mark are also physical people. Right. And this is a thing that, that will that can unify them and this might be the only way to get mark's attention because he's gone so deep inside his own Mm self-hatred and so that scene really uh, that scene and the 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 two slaps in the film got me thinking about the film in a completely different way and it got me thinking about it from a christian standpoint because we have in john dupont we have the promise of Of riches and glory and fame and more specifically, uh, self-centeredness, I guess (laughs) this idea. Like he's constantly telling, he's constantly telling Mark, like, you're amazing. You're so much better than you think you are. All that sounds fine. Except we know that John's not saying this for Mark's purposes. He's saying it for his own. And in doing so, uh, he's pandering to Mark. Mm Mm-hmm. Whereas Dave will tell Mark the hard truths because he has respect for him and and genuine love for him.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: And so uh, from a Christian standpoint, that is the the choice that we have to make.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: The world, and if I'm being bold, I will say Satan, will tell us the things that we want to hear over and over again. And it sounds great. We like it. It strokes our ego and Mm -hmm. it says that we're the most important one and we want to be able to... You know, And Mark also brings a lot of his own issues to this, aside yeah. from fame and fortune, because he feels like he's been living in his brother's shadow yeah. his whole life. Mm-hmm. And it he much has, has been. Yeah. yeah. It's a true thing. It's a real assessment. Right. Um, and
1: that's and, why John's promises are so strong, because yeah. it, it touches a real insecurity that he has.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, both of them can relate to each other on that. I think there is actually a genuine connection. I don't think John purely sees him as a means to an end but that connection ends the minute john doesn't get what he wants yeah and so uh, they're kind of
1: in a way both using each other to get out of the under from under someone else's shadow
0: absolutely absolutely um and and so uh in the same way you know we might have our own reasons that are that are true and maybe even maybe even reasonable for wanting to insist on getting what we deserve or whatever it might be um, or getting more. Uh, and so, you know, the world says, yeah, just do it. And I mean, you and I, you know, we live in Los Angeles where there's a lot of uh, let's just say excess and mm-hmm. there's a lot of entitlement mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people saying that just throw absolute fits when they don't get what they want and that they feel they are entitled to. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Mark, uh, sorry, uh, Dave comes along and says, yeah, you're not actually entitled to anything. I love you anyway. You could like, you can lose all of these tournaments and I love you anyway. You're my brother. And I, that will never stop me from loving you. John's love is completely conditional. Dave's is not. Yeah. But, he will also demand more of you because he knows you're capable. You know, he knows that Mark is capable of more. Mm-hmm. And so going back to whiplash, exactly, which we <laughs> will be talking about, uh, in the next few weeks, I think. Um, and so, uh, so I will bring up, and we've got a number of Bible verses to read, but I will bring up, uh, our companion film, which is also, uh, an Oscar winner. I say also Foxcatcher didn't win anything, but, um, uh, But our companion film, Wall Street, directed by Oliver Stone, uh, did win Best Actor for Michael Douglas um, as a character wonderfully named Gordon Gekko. Um, The more people say that name in that movie, by the end you're like, doesn't anyone ever look around and be like, that guy's got a silly name? Right. Um, (laughs) That he's still... And it's worth noting that the that for a long time and with and and, and probably for certain generations if you say Gordon Gecko they know exact like exactly oh, yeah. what you mean. Um like it is a film that actually did make its mark on culture. And it's as one would assume it is about Wall Street and it is about uh it was made in 1987 and so a lot of the stuff that we were talking about as far as sort of indicting America and and capitalism and excess you know the 80s was the era of excess uh, in a lot of ways and uh michael douglas's character just wants to get everything he can and then he brings he he is very attractive to uh charlie sheen's character bud fox so we've got a fox and a gecko <laughs> um and bud is from a working class family his father played by martin sheen which i you know it's it's neat to watch the two of them together cuz you don't see yeah. it very often yeah um and they do have a natural chemistry as one would assume mm-hmm. um but his father's just a blue collar guy working for an airline and bud does not want to be that yeah he wants to you know live the good life uh and so he turns away from that and just tries to be everything that Gordon is. Now Gordon is not super nice to him, but the, the promises that he makes are very appealing to Mm -hmm. Bud. And so once again, we have two, we have the, you know, two father figures competing for the attention of this impressionable young guy, one is constantly, you know, stroking his ego and saying whatever you want is great. It's fine. Just do it. Whereas the other is saying no, you're better than this. Mm-hmm. You're more than this. And and I'm just going to tell it like it is. Yeah. And um and so uh I I'm a big fan of Wall Street as the ca- as is the case with anything Oliver Stone In many cases, it's very on the nose, but I still really like a lot of, I like all the performances, except maybe Daryl Hannah, Mm. but she's fine. You know, she, for the character she's playing, she's not bad. Yeah. It's pretty vapid. It's a, it's a pretty
1: one dimensional character.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like it a lot. It is very much a product of its time in many ways. Very much. Um, but yeah, but you saw it for the first time uh, in the last last, night, last night. So what did you think?
1: Um, it's okay. I don't love it. I, That's fine. You know, I think I'm not, I'm just in general, not a huge Oliver Stone fan. I think there's a few movies that he made. He's made that I think really work. Yeah. Uh, I think most of the time I'm not that big of a fan and it. Part of it is because I can't think he's, he's separate. I think he has trouble separating the actual story and, the thing that he wants people to get out of it yeah
0: it's the opposite of what we just said about ben and miller exactly yeah um,
1: i was almost gonna when we were talking about that bring up like born on the fourth of july or something like yeah. that um and so yeah there's like there's a couple speeches i think it's mainly there's probably three speeches in that that might as well cut away to uh, Oliver Stone, and just have him say it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the one when uh, uh Martin Sheen decides he's not going to go with the whole deal, right? And he kind of, you know, gives, speechifies gives, a little bit, right? Gives Charlie Sheen a talking to. Um, then there's a scene when uh, Gordon Gekko talks about the uh, the one percent and how the one percent control everything like that, and he's saying it in maybe a positive way.
0: Yeah, and that's to Michael Douglas's credit, by the way. That right, he manages to take these and. make and the exact opposite yeah he
1: takes these things that should be total indictments of his character and just says them like this is fact and let's you know like (laughs) and he he doesn't feel any indictment from that's that's a good performance with a with a uh uh kind of an on the nose bit of dialogue yeah um and there it's funny that this really isn't any kind of fair criticism, but it, it, the movie's so '80s. Like, mm-hmm. they're down to the the music's done by Stuart Copeland of the Police. <laughs> um, uh, Daryl Hannah is in it. That's that's a pretty yeah. '80s thing, right away. Like, and she's a uh, she's an interior designer, and the design that she does for Charlie Sheen's apartment, like Megan and I, could not get over how yeah. bad that looked. <laughs> We're yeah. Like, when there was there a time that people would spend so much money to make their apartment look like the inside of a broken down warehouse or something. It's so bad, Uh,
0: which, you know what? Like if you're a rich person at the time, it's almost your own version of slumming. Like, Hey, maybe, I don't know.
1: Um, so, but I think, uh, I definitely like the, you know, the Gordon Gecko character is fun to watch and he's interesting and you want to see him like,
0: uh, yeah, he's so slimy yeah um and that slicked back greasy hair right um i will say to oliver stone's credit he does give gordon gecko a speech the greed is good speech right and it's pretty convincing yeah that's true you know like he does make an argument and not necessarily in favor but like showing the other side and Mm -hmm. that's that's i i admire that he does that Mm -hmm. um and i do think that Oliver Stone is a director who could have, and he, he, you know, he was doing stuff in the seventies as well, but like, I feel like he's a filmmaker who could have only come to prominence in the eighties. And I feel like the way he makes movies is a product of the eighties.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's true. And it's funny. I was, as I was watching it, I was trying to think of other filmmakers who came to prominence in the eighties and there's, I feel like there's not a lot of them, or at least there's not a lot of them that I like.
0: Yeah. I can't um, think of many.
1: I I thought of Zemeckis probably came to and, and all of these ones I think did some stuff in the 70s, but the right. first big stuff that he did was 80s. Uh, probably the same with Paul Verhoeven. Sure, um, yeah. Who it seems like he's he, the same way that he he only could have come to prominence in the 80s. Yes. Um, and it's weird that that if you're saying both those two, say saying Oliver Stone and Robert Zemeckis both came to prominence in the 80s, they're both looking at such different. Yeah, sides of at least America.
0: Um, oh, uh, action director John McTiernan who okay. did Predator and okay. uh, Die Hard and other things that I can't think of right now. <laughs> but uh, you know, he, to my knowledge, I think he very much came along in the '80s, and he was a you know he changed the way action movies were made mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. Uh, and to me, like Predator, could you and I talked about this when we watched it? Like, could not be more of an eighties action movie. Every oh, yeah. guy is just huge, these big beefy guys yeah. with no shirts on yeah. dripping sweat the yeah. whole time. Pulling, uh, <laughs> uh, half a tree up, a you know, up a pulley system. Yeah. And so, um, and then it's like, okay, well we need, uh, we need the alien to be even bigger than these guys and still be kind of ripped. Um, but yeah. And so I feel like a lot of Oliver Stone's choices in, the stories he told and how he told them very much was a response to the the excess of the 80s and yeah. you know regardless of what somebody might think people d- you know and we talk a lot about this actually in our uh, in our best of pictures episodes uh, for the last few um you know the 80s were seen as like a great in many ways a great time for america mm-hmm. like the economy was doing great yeah. uh, of course there are there were, bad things as well i mean yeah. that's you know when the aids epidemic epidemic broke out i mean but there seemed to be a general optimism
1: yeah there was and, a there's also a sense of being like removed from war kind yeah. of like or at least international struggles because we knew that they were going on but it, they, nothing was really in our backyard. Like no one really cared about Granada or whatever. And, and,
0: and we knew the cold war was like, was on we the, were going to win.
1: Right. It was on its way out. It yeah. was clear that Russia was not going was not the threat that we thought they were back right. in the sixties and seventies.
0: Yeah. So it, the eighties was very much a, you know, very much a celebration of things. And I think Oliver Stone looked at that and said, okay. Number one, we're not that far away from Vietnam, and it's not a thing we should be proud of. Number two, maybe not everything about uh, all this money is a good thing. Here's mm-hmm. my movie, Wall Street. Number three, uh, we do tend to leave certain people behind uh, that we'd prefer not to think about as we're trying to celebrate things. Mm-hmm. Born on the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, our history is not great, and there a lot of us are in denial about some of the other things that maybe have not gone the way we wanted them to JFK. Mm. Like he just, he seemed very much to be like, okay, if they're, if people are going to be so excessively optimistic, maybe I will be ex excessive in my pessimism as mm. well. And so, uh, I kind of like that. I, mm. uh, you know, he is a, a guy who, like I said, his style, not merely the substance, but his style reflects the time as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and his tone. Yeah. Anyway, we talked more about Wall Street than I expected to, but that's fine. <laughs> that's we don't we tend not to talk that long about the companion film. I'm glad we did this time. Uh, it is a film that I that I still like, and I feel like if you want an, an interesting portrait of the '80s, I think in a number of ways, I yeah. think the uh, that Wall Street is the way to go. Uh, so we have in both movies we have the flashy guy. Who's just, who's just constantly tempting our impressionable, uh, protagonist into a life of, in many cases, like just decadence Mm -hmm. and hedonism (laughs) and that sort of thing. Uh, and then we have the much more modest and humble and not very enticing guy saying, yeah, that's not really the, the life that will bring out the best in you, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. this is not actually a, a Bible verse that I wrote down, but, um, the idea of, you know, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you know, and to, uh, I don't remember that exactly. And then, uh, you know, to work with your hands and stuff like that. Well, that doesn't sound very fun, <laughs> you know, a quiet life. Who wants that? Okay. A lot of people do admittedly, but, uh, <laughs> when compared to like, yeah, but if you don't live a quiet life, you can make all this money and you can be g- comfortable forever and you can get people to do what you want and you'll, and everyone will know your name. You'll be famous. You know, it sounds very appealing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so we're going to work our way through some of these verses here. Mm-hmm. Uh, first is Genesis three verses four and five. So I went back early here and this is when the serpent is talking to Eve about, uh, eating from the tree of life. He says, you will not, uh, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, that jumped out at me because ultimately, what John DePont is saying, like if you do what I say, you'll be as good as your brother. Yeah, you'll be like him. Yeah. Um, and then this is one uh, Matthew six verse twenty four. Uh, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Um, and that idea of hating one and loving the other, like it's in both films, the more the protagonist latches on to the flashy, uh, tempting one, the more disdain he has for the, the person who genuinely loves him. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. So these next couple of, uh, passages are about, uh, Satan himself, uh, and, and the, the consequences of, of following him. And there are plenty of verses about that, by the way. So, um, I just picked a couple here. The second Thessalonians two verses nine and 10, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So it's that idea of signs and wonders and you know, and when you look at the life of Gordon Gecko, ostentatious and uh classless though, it may be, um, <laughs> And, and John DuPont, like, it looks very appealing. Uh, second Corinthians 11 verses 12 through 14. Um, yeah. Okay. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants also masquerade as as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And so... Now, Gordon, admittedly, does not really masquerade. Like, he mm. is what he is. Yeah. And he basically just points to all the stuff around him as the thing that will – he's very much the signs and wonders type. Yeah. John, however, A, he he wraps himself in the flag and says, I am a patriot. I'm doing this for our country. Mm-hmm. And even if I'm not, I'm doing it for you. Mm. I see something in you just just being – and and he might even believe it. That's the other thing. Yeah. Like, there might be some self-deceit going on there. Yeah. Um, but I think he definitely knows, whether he believes it or not, I think he definitely knows that I can play these cards and get what I want from this guy. Um, so, uh, I think we'll um, – hang on. Let me look at this. Okay. So the the issue now. There's a little bit of justice with uh, in Wall Street, where we know that Gordon Gecko is probably going to go to jail, but we also know Bud Fox is going to go to jail.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and it's actually really. It's I love that scene where he's talking to his dad about like going to jail and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really nice scene. But um, but the uh, the thing that gets me is so what we're you know when we look at Foxcatcher in the context that we are, we see. You know the two father figures. One is kind of like Satan, and the other is kind of like God. Now, you can only carry that. You can only carry that metaphor for so long because at the end of the film, Dupont kills Dave, and now Dupont still goes to jail and dies there. But there's no victory there. It's mm-hmm. it is a very downbeat ending, and it's a very sad thing. So you can't carry the metaphor all the way. But what I will say. And this is really cheesy, but I just want you to go with me. Imagine if, if Dave was shot three times by John, and he laid there, and he died, and he was dying, or he died, and then he stood back up. And in in the face of John DuPont, and John was like, what is going on here? This is not how this is supposed to go, and just... That would, those probably wouldn't be the lines. It would probably be all in the, in the facial expression. But uh, imagine the triumph that you would feel when the person promising all these empty things um, tries to beat the person that is pushing you to be better but will never stop loving you. And he tries to kill him, tries to subdue him, thinks he has triumphed only to discover no – the genuine love will win genuine righteousness will win now mm-hmm. the film is a very sad thing in that that doesn't happen but it does but you know in, in Christian terms it does happen Satan did through a number of uh, ways and humanity itself did kill Jesus but that is not the end because goodness does not lose in the in the cosmic sense Um, and so the, and so the idea is while we can look at Foxcatcher and be kind of hopeless, we can look to the Bible and realize, no, we, if we follow God, then we will have that life that we are promised as opposed to the, the lies that get us tangled up in this, uh, in this web that, uh, John DuPont has and that Satan promises us and that kind of thing. And so,
1: um,
0: So, I wanted to talk a little bit about the idea of God as a father figure. Um, and if we look at Martin Sheen in Wall Street, if we look at, uh, Dave Schultz in Foxcatcher, I really want to focus in on why those characters are appealing to us. And it's because they will tell us the truth. We won't, we don't like it, but we know it's the truth. And we know that they do it out of love. They're not, they don't stand to gain anything by telling us the truth by telling the the protagonist the truth. Mm -hmm. And so they are trustworthy and their motives are pure. And so I wanted to read Psalm 68 verses five and six, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun scorched land. And that father to the fatherless thing works really well for me just because even though Bud Fox does have a father, um, you know, Mark certainly doesn't seem to, and he just seems kind of drifting. Um, and I feel like if he hadn't resented Dave so much, at least in the context of the film, I don't know the actual story uh, about their relationship, but if he hadn't resented Dave so much, he might have actually found, you know, a job with him or or uh at least – a place of familiarity and love um but he would not have uh, there was there was no glamour to that and so and he wouldn't be able to and he might still be seen as living in his son in his uh brother's shadow and that sort of thing so he had to get away from that mm-hmm. um all right romans 8 verses 14 through 16 For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba. Abba, pardon me. Is it Abba or Abba? Which one is the band? Are they the same? (laughs) I I think it... I I don't think there's a... There's one no, is right okay. for one and one's right okay. for the other. It's an amen, amen situation. I think so. Okay. Uh, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. And so, you know, and I won't bring up the, uh, story of the prodigal son, but there's a lot there here, uh, in, in these films as well. Uh, but this idea that like the Father is always just waiting for us with arms wide open to just welcome us in, um, and so I want to go back to this image of, you know, that is certainly not in the film. And so, uh, you know, I just want you to go with me of Dave laying there on the ground dead and then standing back up and just defying this man who's, whose lifestyle and promises seem so, uh, appealing and alluring, but in fact just lead to pain and suffering and misery and just, and just defying him and saying like, yeah, this can't, this way of living will not beat me. Um, and that is, you know, when Jesus was resurrected, that is what that was. And so here's first Corinthians 15 verses 55 through 57. Josh, I'm going to throw it to you. Don't lean back. All right,
1: here it is. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
0: All right. Well done, Josh. Thanks. Um, So, I've been talking for a while, and and we do need to start wrapping up, but, um, you know, uh, is there anything that you can think of to say that people might find encouraging along these lines? Because this Mm. is all very conceptual. Yeah. And I know I always have a problem with that.
1: Yeah, I think it's conceptual, but I think there is something we can all connect to in the positive figures that both of these movies show us. And there's yeah. something we can connect in them, and we know that even if uh, we don't, we maybe don't like the way they're talking sometimes, or maybe don't like the way that they might hurt, even hurt our main characters, mm-hmm. we do understand why they are why they're the right thing, why yeah. they're the good thing and why they're the better option. And so, um, uh, I guess the the, the way that can be encouraging is knowing that sometimes when we're choosing the one that doesn't seem like, that doesn't seem the most profitable, doesn't seem the way that's going to be, uh, the most, that's going to benefit us, us the most, yeah. um, that there's still something good in that. And that ultimately, that that is the better path to choose. And there is reward in that.
0: And, you know, I want to go back to something that you had said, and I think this is a very uh, interesting way of thinking that Foxcatcher kind of felt like a horror movie and that there are moments in there when you wanted to say like, no, don't go in there or don't do that. Yeah. And uh, undoubtedly, I think anybody who walks, uh, watches Foxcatcher will say about the character of Mark, like, Oh, if only he had done this instead of that. Mm-hmm. All right, I want you to take that instinct, look at your own life, and look at us as people. We are born wanting john dupont 's promises, yeah, and if somebody were looking at the movie of our life, how often would they would they say no, don 't do that mm-hmm. oh." <laughs> Oh, you're, Oh, that was not the thing to do. Now you're now you've been uh, you know macheted to death by Jason Voorhees, um, which is a weird twist in Foxcatcher, I gotta say. <laughs> Spoilers. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean it's that's something that I try to th- when I when I try to take some of these ideas and and apply them to my own life, it actually helps me to kind of almost zoom out and look at my life as a movie and think wow, if I like, what would people be saying about my character? Just like, oh, this guy is a slave to his own instincts. He's a, (laughs) he's an idiot. Like, why is he so like this? Um, and I think people would look at us and so, and how we so often choose the selfish thing or the egotistical thing or, or the self-serving thing Mm -hmm. and say, if only you realized how much, let's go to wall street, how much your father loves you. If only you realized that and that you don't need, you don't need this ridiculous apartment. Yeah. You don't need this brick, like cell phone. (laughs) You don't need this slicked back hair. You just need the love of your father. If you, if, and you, by the way, you could avoid this jail time if you did that. (laughs) Um. You know, I think people would say, could say that about any of us. And so, uh, Take that instinct as you're watching Foxcatcher, as you're watching Wall Street, these cautionary tales in some ways. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, it's a cautionary tale because we can take that and look at our own lives with that caution and say, yeah, maybe I should choose the more humble and the more in some ways – What's what's the word? I feel like there's a a, a specific term I'm looking for, but basically, uh, maybe like counterintuitive, like the thing that doesn't seem like it'd be fun for us, Hmm. but it is the thing that's better for us. Mm -hmm. You know, you could talk about junk food as well. You Mm -hmm. know, junk food is delicious. I love it so much, (laughs) uh, but. You can't eat it all the time. And, uh, because eventually you will, uh, die. You will die. Yes. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, uh, I feel like that is, uh, where we'll leave it. I, I, hope that, you know, as we were talking about these as, as metaphors, obviously I don't think Bennett Miller meant this to be a <laughs> God and Satan parable, <laughs> but, uh, but we can still approach it that way. And I certainly did that like, and all I, and I, I thought of those two slaps, mm-hmm. you know, And just sometimes God will slap us to get our attention, and we don't like it, but it gets us focused on him. Sometimes Satan will slap us because we're not doing what he wants, Mm. and that's it. And those are very, very different things. And so we will leave it there. If you have any comments, you can leave them on the uh, post for this episode on morethanonelesson.com. You can almost, uh, almost, you can almost email me. Also is what I meant to say. You can also email me, tyler at more than one lesson dot com or Josh, Josh at more than one lesson dot com. You can uh, like us on Facebook. You can sign up for our newsletter, which I finally sent out. Good for me. I saw it. I'll try to do the next one. I'll, it's, it's monthly. And so hopefully the next one, I'll, I'll get to the next one in a more timely manner. Uh, Please do not forget to vote for us in the podcast awards, and then we will uh, be making announcements when that Dogma Premium episode is available. So, in the meantime, thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.